Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast. Nick Jankowski is here, and we've got a great episode in this one discussing all things running with power with none other than Nathan Fenton, otherwise known as the Run Power Coach all across social media. Great episode about the basics of running with power. It's a topic we haven't covered on the podcast before, but definitely an emerging part of the endurance industry and something we're going to keep our eye on over the next little while. And we really appreciated Nathan jumping on and giving his insight into how he's developed uh, his system and how he works with athletes in regards to using power-based running rather than just relying on heart rate, uh, pace, or even RPE. So a great episode for you, and it actually stemmed from Nathan reaching out to us, identifying that it's a topic we hadn't covered yet, but one that is emerging in the industry. So if any of you who are listening, Nathan is a fellow listener of the podcast and has loved some of our videos we've put out before. If anyone is listening and wants to send through some ideas, you want to hear from a particular guest, you want to hear from a guest we've already had on the podcast in previous episodes, and or you want us to cover a topic we've already covered uh, previously and see if any of our ideas have changed, please let us know. Get in contact via social media at Mets Performance. Send us an email via the website, whichever way is easiest for you. We'd love to hear from you, but also love to hear your ideas on what episodes we can make that are going to be really specific and answer the questions that you're looking for in terms of endurance performance. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode and enjoy the conversation I had with Nathan. Welcome to the podcast, first and foremost, but if you want to give us a bit of a rundown on who you are, your background, um, what you've been up to the last little while and, and how you've sort of be, become the, the run power coach. Absolutely. Um, I started running when I was about seven, um, started triathlons when I was about 12. So I've been into endurance sport for a while. I'm 40 now um, and still loving it. It, uh, it fascinates me. So I think I, um, when I decided I wanted to quit my job in about 2014, I was trying to work out what I know the best and it, um, it was pretty much running. So I started writing, I started um, working with athletes one-on-one for technique, running technique coaching in about 2014, um, started writing programs for a lot of those people in about 2016 um, when I found out about the stride power meter and um, have loved it ever since. Yeah, cool. So definitely, I guess the, the key sort of point there, and, and as you touched on the, the discovery of the stride power meter has been a bit of a clear, a clear focus. Do you want to just give everyone who's listening, um, whether that be athletes, coaches, um, anyone in between, a bit of a rundown about why, I guess, power has attracted you into using something like stride and, and why it's pretty useful for runners. We sort of know it as that metric from a cycling perspective really well and the triathletes who listen um, are all over it. But why is now power sort of moving into that key metric that, that runners can make the most of? Um, maybe some areas that it's really beneficial. I know we've sort of maybe you might hear about hills, trail running. Some of those types of runners find it quite effective. We've sort of heard, but don't give us a bit of a rundown on, I guess, the importance of maybe using a different metric compared to your tr- just traditional pace and heart rate. Yeah, so I understood it uh, power from a cycling perspective. I started using a cycling power meter in about 2009. And I must say, I was quite skeptical when I first heard about stride. Um, you know, the, the circumference of a, of a wheel is consistent each rotation, but um, a step is going to be different. Uh, vertical oscillation is going to be different as you fatigue. So I was skeptical, but had to play with it. Seemed pretty good. I, I think that I appreciate models and I appreciate that they're not always going to be perfect. Um, so what I like about power, I mean, I, I still use pace and heart rate and RPE as secondary metrics. But I think power you can really use as a a primary metric. It's a really simple um, objective measure of intensity or effort. So when you 
when you've got just that one number, there's, there's, there are fewer external factors that can really influence that. So I think when you compare that to something like um, pace, if you're trying to run up a hill, when you want to maintain that consistent pace, it's going to take a lot more effort to maintain that. So you're going to, you're possibly going to shift energy systems. Um, it's going to be less useful. Same with um, uh, heart rate. When you are doing hill work or you're doing sprint work, you know, heart rate can be a little bit delayed. It can be influenced by external factors like dehydration or heat or caffeine. So I really like the way power is just objective and there are fewer external factors that really play a part in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the key the key message I sort of take out that for, for everyone is is really that, yeah, running up a hill, who knows how fast you're setting out in terms of what is what does that mean? Are you trying to achieve um, maybe a bit more of a threshold or a VO2 stimulus? What what is the purpose? But if you're going out way too hard or not hard enough, heart rate and pace aren't really going to tell you, but something like power could. So definitely one of those little practical ones that you can you can maybe think about adding in. And maybe just to touch on that, just for those who are the uninitiated, including a little bit of myself. What what is what is a device like Stride doing to give us that power metric? Where where is it? I guess go right back to basics. Where do we where do we place the device? Is it in our watch? Is it a foot pod? What do we do? And then how is it giving us that power metric? How is it actually measuring that number? So Stride is just a little uh, foot pod that clips onto your shoelaces. Um, there are a couple of other brands. Coros uh, have one that's built into a watch. Um, there is one called I think it's RPM squared. I don't know anyone who's used it, but it's a um, an insole that slides into your shoes. So the, the clear leader at the moment, it's only early days, but the clear leader is Stride, which is the, the pod that clips onto your foot. I think inside it's got a little accelerometer and it models um, force and acceleration and impact to um, be able to give you a, a modeled power number. Um, so that will connect to your watch. So Bluetooth connect to your watch and you'll get to see that live data on your watch just the same as you would with, with pace or with heart rate. Yeah, perfect. So really, it's it's the type of thing that it's not going to be. It's not one of these extra devices that's going to take up too much extra room or or be uh, be bulky and, and sort of cumbersome to, to carry around. It's nice, nice simple foot pod. Most most people have used things like foot pods and stuff before if they're they're doing any like Zwift running and things like that. And I'm, I'm sure things like power are going to be quite useful for for that stuff down the track too. Um, I know we sort of mentioned uh, and going back and forth prior to this podcast via email. You, you have a bit of an interest in the power duration curve. Do you want to just take us through a bit of, I guess, what that is and, and how does that help you in terms of then translating some of this information into practice? We mentioned before, it's a good metric to then be objective and be outside of pace and heart rate to give us that clear stimulus uh, from a training perspective. But how does something like this power duration curve, maybe explain what it is, but how does that, I guess, drive what you do when you're working with athletes and, and implementing this into their running? Yeah, I think this is where the key value is. This is the big driver for me. So if you imagine a, a chart that charts your power output and your duration, so the number of minutes, seconds, whatever that you would run, um, it just it's just a really simple line that shows you how much power you can put out for X duration. So if you imagine that your one second sprint, like your really short end sprint, you can sprint really high, really hard for that. So you're going to put out a lot of power for that one second. It's going to be a little bit lower for 10 seconds, a little bit lower for a minute, all the way out to, let's say, two, three hours, however long you're going to run, it's going to be lower again. So you can't maintain the same power for one second as you can for three hours. So that's what it charts. The value that I, I mean, there are a few different pros and cons to it, but it will show you the maximum power that you can put out for any particular duration. So 
you can work out your, I use it a lot for intervals when I'm writing intervals for people. If I know that their, let's say their 10 minute power is 300 Watts, instead of setting those intervals at 300 Watts, because they're not necessarily going to be able to repeat that. I'll, I'll set it just a little bit below that power duration curve. So, um, let's say 280 Watts for 10 minutes, but do three of those reps. And that gives you a nice sort of, um, basis for how much they can handle. And, you set that interval at slightly below the power duration curve. They can repeat it, come back next week. Let's say you do four reps instead of three or come back a couple of weeks later and you try and go above like a more than hundred percent of that power duration curve. So where your curve used to be 300 Watts for 10 minutes, let's give it a crack in a couple of weeks at like 310 Watts for 10 minutes and see if we can improve all the way along the curve like that. And so ultimately, I guess there's the, the idea that over time we should be seeing should be seeing the curve move to the right. Is that probably a good way to, to look at it? So it's constantly pushing out. So we're getting long, longer time at the same power or higher power for the same time, whichever yeah, way you want so to look at it. If you're shifting it out to the right, then you're increasing your endurance. If you're lifting it up, you're increasing your speed effectively. Yeah, perfect. So it's very similar to, um, to all the athletes who've come in and seen us for, for lab-based testing, very similar to a lot of the graphs we talk about in terms of being able to shift things to the right increasing yeah one or one both those components in terms of the the top end type stuff or how long you can you work at it ideally both are starting to lift to some point uh, as well but also sounds like you can get that clear targeting of then maybe where are the athletes a bit stronger or weaker where do we need to spend a bit of our i guess focus are there any clear parts of that graph that you use to identify does an athlete need to maybe do some more of that top end speed or do they need to maybe work on the endurance is there anything that particular stands out for you yeah, I mean, it sort of depends what they're aiming for. So a lot of my athletes are longer um, duration, say trail runners that might do 50, 100Ks. Um, so I care less about the five, six, seven seconds, um, but I understand that you need to keep that valid. Otherwise the, the threshold um, model is going to be out. So every six weeks or so we'll retest shorter stuff, but um, it depends what you're aiming for. So let's say um, a marathon, I'm working on, on a faster marathon at the moment. So I need to lift my threshold first, and then I want to push that time to exhaustion out. So time to exhaustion is sort of the, the duration you can hold your, your threshold for. So at the moment, I can hold 320 watts for, I think it's about 50 minutes. I want to lift that up 330, 340 watts, but I also want to push that curve out to the right, um, you know, out to an hour if I can. Um, but also in doing that, I'll probably look at those sort of inflection points between energy systems. So maybe eight to 10 minutes um, at threshold or around threshold, say 97 to 102% of threshold. So I might do reps of eight to 12 minutes at 97 to 102% um, and see if I can increase the number of those, the repeatability of those, and then shorten the um, recovery in between them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that, that's very similar to what, we've, what we have spoken about on this podcast before in terms of just a different way of identifying where that, those strengths and weaknesses are. A good little practical way, I'm sure um, it's the type of thing that the, the athletes that you work with are able to see some of this data as well through, through like the app that, that Stride comes with. You're able to sort of see that, that progression, which is a nice one to then know that the work they are putting in is, is ticking along in the right direction. I guess we've talked to quite a bit about um, positives and I don't want to, I don't want to go too much away from that, but in terms of some barriers to, to entry from a, a power perspective, obviously there's going to be a bit of cost investment, things like that. And what are some of the things you've seen over the last little while, as you mentioned earlier, it's a bit of a new technology. It's starting to make its way a little bit more into the mainstream. What do you see some of the things 
I guess, holding it back to really become that almost like what's happening in cycling. It's like everyone now has a power meter. You go back 10 years, it was all um, just working on cadence or, or pace in terms of speed. Now it's, if you don't have a power meter, what are you doing? How, how are you sort of seeing that progression from running, I guess, go from GPS or nothing really to then GPS and heart rate to now power is going to be our, our number one focus and those more older school or the traditional key metrics and running are kind of in the background helping out. How do you see that sort of transitioning and changing? It's still kind of, a, it's a really slow take up. And um, if you remember cycling 10 years ago, it was still quite a slow take up. So it's only a recent sort of maybe crossing critical mass for cycling. Um, I still see that running will be a couple of years away. Um, a lot of people are sort of like, um, there's still a lot of RPE going on. A lot of people feel like they know what they can handle, um, which at the beginning of a race, when people are tapered, excited, loaded on coffee, fresh, um, it's obvious that they don't actually know the RPE. So you watch how many people blow up at you know halfway through a race and you can tell that we need something like this. So I think there's a little bit of pushback because, I mean, A, it's 300 bucks, which when you compare to a cycling power meter is cheap, but it's still another 300 bucks that people don't want to spend. Um, probably the, the understanding of it or the, the education around how best to use it. It's, it's quite a steep learning curve and it can be a very deep hole. Um, so there is probably a bit of resistance to it just from not understanding how best to use it. Um, and also because it is new technology, a lot of people, the coaches are still trying to work out the best way to use it. Um, a lot of what I know about running power meters has come from cycling so a lot of it translates, but a lot of it doesn't as well. You've um, got to sort of, we're still trying to feel out how best to train with it. So there are a few things that are um, standing in the way, but I think it's, it's, it's starting to take off. Yeah, and I guess the, the sort of follow-up to that is where do you see it going or where would you like running-based power meters to go? What, what, as a coach, would you ideally like to see improved in some of these devices to make it, obviously more accessible but then also more user friendly so that 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 learning curve initially isn't as steep and you don't sort of get into those rabbit holes of digging through the the data and the and the research behind it it's it's you can kind of not just take it and implement but but almost sort of just walk straight into it and similar to what we know with with gps and and heart rate it's it's kind of almost a bit intuitive in terms of how it works anything in particular you see being incredibly useful for that development of, of running based power that's a hard one because you could um, argue that any sort of artificial intelligence that says this should be your next step um, would be useful. Like, I mean, everyone knows you're well, not everyone knows that the first thing you need to do when you get a power meter is do a threshold test. So, you know where you're at, you could set some zones on that. That maybe should be in the box. It's like clip this onto your shoelace, connect it to your watch, do a threshold test. This is where you start um, beyond that. It's possible to say, hey, your um, two-minute power doesn't match your nine-minute power, so um, do some intervals there. But I think that sort of dumbs it down. This is a really powerful tool. And when you dumb it down to just one single um, task, it ignores the complexity and the brilliance of a, a tool like this. So, yes, I want more people to take it on and, and maybe that sort of your next step is do this um, would, would contribute to that. But also I don't want it. I don't want people to ignore the, the vast range of um, applications that it has. 
yeah, absolutely. It's always it's always a bit hard to then to then sort of go, all right, where do we where do we take some of this new tech? And and I mean, it, as you said, it's still developing, so it'll be exciting to see where some of these companies do take it in the next little while. And in, in terms of what I guess ultimately the market's going to drive drive that, and the people who are using it are going to drive a bit of that development too. So, um, in terms of I guess coming back to integrating it maybe with some of the the other approaches, heart rate, GPS. Are there any key metrics? Obviously, from a cycling perspective, we commonly look at things like aerobic decoupling or efficiency factors. Are they similar metrics that you're then looking at as well to match up with power? Or is it just almost exclusively, let's go out and run? We might look at it later if we're sort of interested in heart rate, but it's more, did we hit power in the session? Are there, are there any of those comparisons or, I guess, relationships you are then analysing post-session or or even during the session that, that sort of then helped to inform that decision making so it's not almost now that you're running with power you can you can ditch everything else because you've got power that's all you need is there still a need for heart rate and, and gps in there yeah definitely a need um power would be my primary metric um but i still use all the others um aerobic decoupling and um, efficiency factor are huge i look at that across a, a longer term view so when decoupling is coming down efficiency factors going up then you know we're doing good things on the um the slower end of things um i think from a load management point of view if you are not hitting power the way you have previously and your heart rate is is higher then we'd look at whether or whether you're tired or getting sick or something like that so heart rate definitely has a place in this um, for those who are working on on flat or not windy conditions um, pace compared to um, power is really good so there's one running metric that's not used in cycling that's um, running effectiveness and that is basically how well you can translate running power into speed so that's a really good one to see, I guess, the, the start of looking at your, your running skill and whether or not you need to address vertical oscillation or ground contact time or leg spring stiffness. So, yeah, there are a few of those sort of little metrics that um, you can measure to address your skill, um, but the rest of it is, is the same as in cycling. Yeah, and I guess that something that springs to mind out of, out of what you just mentioned there, from a technique perspective we've had we've had uh paul mckinnon on a, a long time ago on the podcast the, the guru when it comes to all things running technique and form but have you noticed any i guess sort of changes in the numbers that you're seeing from athletes when they are improving or even if they're potentially going backwards in in terms of their form development are you are you seeing that impact the data or a stride or, or a power meter from a running perspective able to kind of i guess assess that and work it out we're still getting what we need or is it like because i the way i sort of imagine it and let me know if i'm completely off here is if i take if i just forcefully push into the ground a bit harder in theory i should have a higher power similar to when you turn the pedal harder on the bike does that actually happen or is it like how much does i guess your actual technique play a role and then if so is that going to maybe drop power and is that better as you said that effectiveness piece do you want to just maybe touch on a little bit of what you've seen from the technique side of things there yeah, um, you're right. You probably could just slap your foot into the ground and it will create a higher power number. Um, I don't think it's, I've not noticed it. So I've played with a few different techniques with power. I've not noticed a, a massive change in that. Um, one big one is is improving cadence. So when you improve cadence, obviously <laughs> this is a, a contentious issue. I, I'm a big fan of of higher cadence, not just, not that magic number 180, but, you know, a, a sustainably higher um, cadence. When people train their cadence and get it slightly higher, um, you find 
the stride length is a little bit shorter, which is good. Um, the ground contact time can be a little bit lower and people could, I guess it, it, when you compare it to their metabolic capacities, they are going to produce lower, lower power, but the same velocity. So pace increases, but power stays the same or um, power decreases, but pace stays the same. So, you know, it's in the end, you're more efficient, more effective, um, better economy, running economy. So I think you can see a few different um, metrics, like particularly cadence and, and ground contact time that will contribute to you being a, a better runner. Yeah, and I sort of, uh, like, it, for those who are, I guess, from the cycling or triathlon background, it's almost looking at the same equations we look at on the bike from an aerodynamics perspective, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's the it's that probably side of things where lower power can sometimes actually be a better performance output. It doesn't necessarily just have to be higher and higher. We all chase higher numbers. We see it all the time in the lab with VO2 max. Like, athletes always want the big 60, 70, 80 VO2 max. Is that necessarily going to help? Well, potentially, like running economy, lower oxygen cost is a little bit better. Maybe in this case, lower powers would be better. So I think that's an interesting point you raise on that, that shift or change in technique to maybe have a slightly shorter stride, slightly higher cadence. And I, I'm sure there's, there's all that individuality to that. Obviously, if you get, you get a, I'm sure a really tall athlete is going to be quite different to a really short athlete and, and just differences in their, their genetic makeup and their, I guess their biomechanics in general is going to play a bit of a factor. But that shift in terms of maybe for some people a slightly lower power reading could actually lead to that faster output on the road, which ultimately if you're not putting out as much work and you're getting just as quick or you're going faster, that's the aim, isn't it? That's it. And keep in mind, most of our sports are aerobic anyway. So we don't, yes, we want those bigger numbers, but we don't necessarily need to use them all the time. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Is there anything else um, you want to cover in terms of uh, using power? I know we've sort of covered quite a bit of ground today, but is there anything I guess you look at as a really important point we haven't already touched on or maybe something that um, I guess in addition to what we've we've talked about, maybe going a bit deeper that that you really think athletes and coaches really need to know um, and I guess is a, is a non-negotiable in terms of if you're going to use power, this is probably something that's pretty important to talk about. Yeah, you got to hit max effort. So if you are using that power duration curve, you got to um, do the max effort every now and then just to keep it up to date. So it's it's a model that can only um, use the data it's got. If you're not putting in those max efforts, then it's going to underrepresent your abilities across the whole um, duration. So you got to put in those max efforts. And I know it doesn't, as I said before, if my most of my athletes are going long, 50 to 100 Ks, um, that six seconds, and doesn't really matter, but without it, it skews the the power curve and it underrepresents what they're capable, or sometimes overrepresents what they're capable of, depending on the tilt of the curve. Um, so yeah, you definitely got to put in those max efforts. But also, um, if you if you're on the on the edge, you're not sure about whether or not to get one, pick one up and just start accumulating the data because the value comes when you've got lots and lots of data. You can compare it to previous performances. And um, you can find that low-hanging fruit and work out what sort of strategy or what what sort of training plan you work on next. Yeah, definitely. I think in comparison to what we do in the lab, it's the same thing. It's and for anyone who's sort of listened to us over the last little while, it's we we talk a lot about the lab testing and VO two, but it's the same thing. Without knowing what your upper limits are, there that then kind of dictates what then happens at the the sub maximal level. So you, you're right. It's like you've got to be able to go and put those maximal efforts and and work hard at the top. You don't necessarily have to do it all the time, or it doesn't have to be a key part depending on what your goals are. 
but it's definitely going to influence, all right, where are we at that top end? Where are our upper limits? What does that mean for our more submaximal work? Um, and, and yeah, have, have a go at it. I think it's something that like anything, if, unless you have a, have a try of what it is, you then work out, is it for you or not? You're not really going to know. So definitely like the, the message there. I think in terms of what we've covered today, we've covered a lot of ground. We might have to at some point come back and revisit as power starts to develop a bit more in terms of the, the use, we might have to revisit uh, this a little bit more, but just for the meantime, where can, uh, where can our listeners uh, find out a little bit more about yourself, but also uh, maybe some more info about running with power uh, in general? Yeah, my website is runpowercoach.com. Um, I'm on Insta, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all Run Power Coach. The power meter that I would recommend is Stride, which is S-T-R-Y-D, um, stride.com. They've got heaps of information there, best ways of, of using it. Um, but yeah, hit me up if you've got any questions. Perfect. I'll leave some of those in the uh, the notes down the bottom for, for everyone as well. But I uh, appreciate your time jumping on the jumping on the podcast with us today, mate. And uh, yeah, definitely a topic that we'll keep diving into a little bit further over the next little while. And we look forward to, to hopefully bringing you in uh, to, to continue to educate us on, on this new evolving space in the industry. Love it. Thank you. Hey, podcast. Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates. We're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.